Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, welcome back. It's episode 93, and today I'm talking about Murder Your Employer, The McMaster's Guide to Homicide by Rupert Holmes. So I'm back again after a break. Things have been a little hectic again with life, but I'm back and I'm working hard to stay consistent and making sure I'm sharing new episodes weekly. It was another nice weekend. I headed up north after a date on Friday. It turned out to be a dud for the date, but that's okay. I'm back to taking a break from dating and I think this one's going to be a longer one. Definitely picky and I'm on the lookout for things that I just don't want to deal with. At this point in my life, I'd just rather be alone than settle for someone just to have another person in my life. It definitely does get lonely at times, despite the fact that I enjoy being by myself. I've been thinking about it a lot lately and working to try to change my perception of being single as well. Sometimes I feel like being single means I'm a failure or there's something wrong with me, but that's because I've held on to these beliefs that I, if I can't find someone, that means I'm somehow less than someone who is in a relationship. And life experience definitely tells me that that is not true. As I've navigated the world of dating, I've discovered that being single isn't a life that I'm stuck with. It's something that I'm truly actively choosing. While I've been ghosted and not every date ends with someone asking me out again, I have had options and they're not necessarily the options that I've wanted. I could be in a relationship if I truly wanted to just don't want to be in a relationship with just anyone. So I do kind of beat myself up about it, sometimes pretty often about not having someone else in my life. And I've been doing it for too long and I need to remind myself that it is my choice. I have sometimes felt bad about myself imagining what some people might think of me. And I also need to remind myself that I don't truly know what they are thinking. And honestly, even if they are thinking there's something wrong with me for being single, I really don't care. (laughs) It's a choice for me and one that I'm working on truly accepting so that I don't beat myself up over it. My friend Susan always calls me a rare gem (laughs) and I'm always, I'm going to start like believing her and not worry about what other people might or might not be thinking about my status. And I've said it a lot that I'd rather be alone with the wrong than with the wrong person. And I'm going to start living that belief too, and not just saying it. And I did have a great weekend by myself. I got a ton of reading done. I caught up on some sleep. I relaxed. I went to go see the Packer game. I ended up talking to a few people at the bar watching the game too. And I had a great time. Just have to remember that free shots when the Packers score are not necessary for me. (laughs) I was talking to a good friend of mine this morning too, and we didn't get around to talking about my thoughts on being single, but we did talk about how we don't have life figured out. And it's this big myth that by our age, even though she's a little bit younger than me, (laughs) but but we're kind of close, (laughs) but by our age, we should have things figured out. And it was such a great conversation. And it reminded me that choices I make don't have to be the choices I make a year from now or five years from now. I can make these decisions about my life and I can change my mind. I've realized it gives me comfort to make some decisions that I feel like are important decisions and long-term decisions, but there also needs to be that awareness and comfort in the fact that things will and can change, and I am ready to embrace that. 
So with my anxiety and depression, I definitely have some ups and downs, but overall, I'm just so fortunate to have the life that I do. And I'm happy to be kind of realizing that a little more now, even despite kind of some of the tough times I've been having. So hopping into the booze today, as I have said multiple times, I am not a hard liquor drinker and I only wade into that territory occasionally. Man, those shots at the backer game, I do not need that. I need to stick to my beer and wine more often. I do enjoy a good Bloody Mary every once in a while, but mixed drinks really aren't my thing and my body definitely processes the alcohol differently. So I feel like I buzzed even after like just one drink, but I had to go with a mixed drink on this one. The setting and the atmosphere in the book just made it absolutely necessary. So this week's drink pairing is a gin and tonic with lime. And I actually did have a gin and tonic when I was up at the bar up north because I felt like it was important to enjoy the drink that I wanted to pair this week. And I made sure to ask what a decent gin would be so I could make a recommendation, though I don't know much about gin. So I'm not sure if you totally want to take my word for it. But it was a nice beef eater gin and tonic. Which, after I did some research on it, it turned out to be listed as one of the top gins for 2023 by Winecutter, and I've linked the article in the show notes. From the article, quote, compared with Broker's Gin, Beef Eater isn't as punchy or heavy on the juniper, which is maybe why I kind of enjoyed it. After a light hint of juniper and spruce up front, Beef Eater London Dry Gin transcends into earthy sweetness. An excellent example of a classic London dry gin that isn't showy or gimmicky. Beefeater's aroma slowly opens up as you drink. It's truly one of the most versatile gins we tasted. And the Beefeater website proclaims Beefeater as one of the world's most awarded gins. So maybe this was a pretty decent pick and you should try Beefeater if you haven't ever tried a gin and tonic. But I feel like if you're a drinker at all, you've probably sampled enough to know what you like and don't like like me, that I kind of know that I'm not really a mixed drink, hard liquor type of gal. Uh, Also, according to the website, Beefeater Gin was born and bred in the heart of London, where it remains today as the only historic dry gin still distilled in the city. So I thought that was kind of cool. I've linked the, the website in the show notes as well if you'd like to check it out. So I'd pair this gin and tonic, or G&T as it's referred to in the book, with a little bit of old school class in a nice Wisconsin supper club where you can get a relish tray and a good fish fry. If you're enjoying at home, definitely put on your smoking robe, sit in front of the fire, and enjoy with some good friends and company. And about the author this week. So I had not heard of Rupert Holmes, and and I looked him up. To find out more about him, I was surprised to learn he's actually David Goldstein, but really goes by Rupert Holmes. According to Wikipedia, uh, David Goldstein was born February 24th, 1947, and is better known as Rupert Holmes, a British-American composer, singer-songwriter, dramatist, and author. He's widely known for his hit singles, Escape, the Pina Colada Song, 1979, and Hymn, 1980. 
He is also known for his musicals, The Mystery of Edwin Drood, which earned him two Tony Awards and curtains, and for his television series, Remember When, W-E-N-N. His Wikipedia page has some nicely detailed information on the works he's composed, musicals he's adapted, his discography, and his other works. He's got a really incredibly successful career, and How to Murder Your Employer is number six New York Times bestseller. The bio from his website is also quite extensive, so I recommend you checking out all of his information if you'd like to learn more. He's someone I'd love to sit down and have a beer with, but now that I see how incredibly successful he is, I doubt that he'd have time for someone like the likes of me. (laughs) From the bio on his website, quote, called an American treasure by the Los Angeles Times, brilliant by the London Times, a comic genius by Kirkus Reviews, and a true renaissance man by Newsweek, CBS Sunday Morning, Playbill Magazine, and scores of other publications and websites. Mystery novelist, playwright, composer, arranger, screenwriter, conductor, singer, songwriter, Rupert Holmes is the first person in theatrical history to solely win Tony Awards as an author, a composer, and a lyricist. So again, quite a successful, quite an illustrious career. (laughs) Twice presented with the coveted Edgar Award for his first novel, Where the Truth Lies, was nominated for the Nero Wolfe Award for Best American Mystery Novel, was the top uh, was the book list top 10 debut novel made into Adam Egoyan motion picture starring Colin Firth and Kevin Bacon. Born in Cheshire, England, the son of an American army band leader who met Holmes's British mother while stationed overseas. He grew up near Nyack, New York, and attended the Krause College of Music at Syracuse University as a clarinetist. Then Manhattan School of Music, where he changed his major to music theory. He found his passion for music was equally matched by the love of storytelling, which initially found outlet within the framework of unique story songs, leading him to a career as a pop singer-songwriter in the 70s. Personally, I'd never heard of his other works, but after reading How I Met Your, or How to Murder Your Employer, I almost said How I Met Your Mother, but my son and I have been watching that, so that's definitely on my mind. But after reading How to Murder Your Employer, I will definitely be looking for his other novels, as well as the film Where the Truth Lies, because I do like Colin Firth and Kevin Bacon. I couldn't find it on any of the streaming services that I have, but I'll definitely keep an eye out for it because it sounds interesting and it does sound like something that I would like. So let's get into the book today. This was also another Reddit recommendation, and when I looked up the description, I wanted to read it immediately, so I checked Scribed, and I was thrilled to see it on Scribed. If you haven't checked out Scribed yet, they do not sponsor me. They should sponsor me, but they don't sponsor me because, well, I haven't asked them. Maybe I should ask them, (laughs) but I do really enjoy it so much. So try it for 60 days free with the link in my show notes. You can use it for both ebooks and audiobooks, but I use it mostly for audiobooks and I get plenty of use out of it and I definitely get my money's worth from it. This book was narrated by Simon Vance and Neil Patrick Harris. With two incredible narrators like that, you really can't go wrong with their narration. And I'd almost say go the audiobook route over reading it yourself, but I feel like either one would really be phenomenal. They both do a superior job in their roles and I can't recommend the audio version highly enough. But I will say that overall, I adored the book. 
The story is about Cliff Iverson, a mechanical design engineer who designs an airplane for his boss, who then makes some cost-saving design changes, which creates some dangerous design flaws. His boss waves off these concerns, potentially putting many many innocent lives at risk. His boss is an all-around horrible person, so Cliff decides the world would be a better place if he murders his boss. While he fails in this endeavor, he is approached by two strange men who give him two choices. Join them or face prosecution for this attempted murder. Cliff reluctantly joins them and finds himself at McMaster's. On the outside, it appears to be a hospital for the insane, but on the inside is an Ivy League school which teaches its students how to successfully commit murder. So this is another great novel that falls under the dark academia genre, which I will warn you, this fall's episodes are going to be filled with other books in kind of the same genre and category. And as great as I find the book, and as much as I enjoyed it, didn't really like Cliff as a character. He's too moral, too good, too perfect, despite the fact that he's wanting to kill his boss, of course. I do think it might be intentional because with the premise of these students training to become successful murderers, I wonder if Holmes wants the reader to like the characters, most of them anyways. Holmes wants wants Cliff to be likable, so how can you like someone who's going to commit a murder? You have to give the You have to make the, quote, victim completely unlikable, and you have to make the killer someone who is without reproach. This is what makes Cliff a little boring to me as a character. (laughs) He's so moral that the first thing he does is try to uh, attempt to escape the school, which in many ways doesn't make sense to me. He's already attempted to kill his boss. Why wouldn't he be interested in learning how to do it in a more intelligent way? It's like a step too far that Holmes makes Cliff incredibly offended at the thought of actually learning how to do this. There also doesn't seem to be one iota of selfishness in Cliff. His mission is one of revenge and vengeance, but it's also to protect others and get justice for others, never really for himself. Cliff almost doesn't seem believable because of this. Humans by nature, as I've stressed several times, are just inherently selfish. Cliff, for me, is just too perfect to be terribly interesting. I will, however, give Holmes credit for truly thinking out the logistics of how such a school would work, how it might function, who the students would be, how it's funded, and how success is achieved. A school of such nature is capable of attracting psychopaths despite its secrecy and highly confidential nature. There is one such student who seems psychopathic or at least very narcissistic. The teachers and headmaster often talk and have concerns about him, and he adds a little bit of excitement, in my opinion, to an honestly a kind of a boring group of people. Now, don't get me wrong. The group of students that the novel follows have some really interesting backstories, but they themselves are a bit boring as people and as kind of individuals. Other than the psychopath, all of the characters seem morally beyond reproach, other than the fact that they are attempted murderers and killers, of course. And personally, I do not support vigilante justice, even in the circumstances which are all laid out in the novel. But it's a fun premise, and it's weird to kind of say that murder is a fun premise, but it, it just really is. It's a, it's a fun idea for a story, and I, I really like it. I wonder if Holmes felt that there were enough morally gray areas in the book regarding the school and the actions of the students that he felt like having characters who were themselves had 
imperfections um, or imperfect morals was a bit too much. I would have liked to see it, to be honest. The perfection gets a bit boring at times. While Doria Moan, another major character, does have some questionable, moment, questionable moments, she's still a little too supported by feminist circumstance to be a truly bad person. Gemma, another major character, is also too good. Cliff, Doria, and Gemma are all people that the reader might be able to see themselves as. And I could kind of see myself in like a similar position as all three of them. I know, however, that I personally would not hold up to Holmes' moral compass as far as his characters go. I don't think I'm a bad person by any stretch, but I have been a bad person. I've made plenty of mistakes and done some things I regret, but these experiences help us grow and make us more interesting as people. The premise, like I said, is fascinating and really incredibly detailed. I will say it did get boring for me at times as Holmes is incredibly long-winded in his descriptions and how the murders are plotted out. The story is set in the 50s, which definitely adds to the romantic nostalgia, but also helps Holmes circumvent current forensic technology, which would make getting away with murder that much harder. And to be clear, I do not fault him for that at all. I enjoy the setting, and it would be a completely different book if it was set in current times. And I don't know if it would be even as good if the author had was able to work around the forensics. There's a beautiful, old-fashioned, nostalgic romance that the book evokes, and I absolutely fell into the pleasure of imagining that feeling that I could recall the enjoyment of the new fall semester. The descriptions of McMasters and the classes are just fun, even though we're talking about training these students to become successful murderers. Well, I want to give Holmes a bit of a hard time because of his lengthy descriptive writing and the incredible detail he puts into each murder and the planning of each murder. All in all, it does make sense why he wrote the book the way he did and why he included all the detail at every level of the story. McMasters is trying to educate the students how to be successful in their endeavors and not get caught. So there is some level of extreme detail and time put into each murder. For me, though, it did get a little too lengthy at times. It's not an action-packed book by any means, and I do enjoy character-driven stories. But Cliff's description of his thesis to murder his employer is incredibly drawn out. It's really a long portion of the story. The story is told in two methods, the first being through the narrator and the second using Cliff's journal, is, which is where um, Neil Patrick Harris comes in as Neil Patrick Harris's Cliff, and he narrates the parts which are Cliff's journal. I've mentioned before that I don't always enjoy the letter or journal as a plot device, but this was done really well and used in such a flowing story form that I often forgot it was Cliff's journal. And it may have had something to do with listening to it on audiobook, and it may have had something to do with Neil Patrick Harris himself. I'm not sure, but I definitely don't always like that. And in this book, I thought it was really well done. The journal is the story of Cliff's experience as requested by his sponsor, the person who paid for Cliff's education at McMaster's. I will say I enjoyed the mystery of who this person was, though it becomes very clear closer to the end. It did have me guessing for quite a while, and a reader more observant than me, like my mom, (laughs) would likely figure it out much more quickly. While drawn out and overly done at times, I still really enjoyed this novel. And when I'm looking back on having read it, I almost enjoy it more and have like a a 
pleasurable uh, memory of. Boy, that that was really just kind of unique and a good one. It's different, but a lot of fun and well plotted. Personally, I give it a four out of five. Goodreads gives it a 3.99. One reviewer said, not sure why this took me so long to get through. It's certainly a uniquely told story from a unique author filled with a bit of mystery, humor, and a lot of drama. In some ways, it reminded me of a TJ Klune book and in other ways of a quirky suspense tale. And I will say, I know why it took them so long to get through is because, especially if they were reading the physical book versus listening to the audiobook, there are some really drawn out and long parts that makes it kind of hard to, to either listen or I I think it would be almost maybe harder if I was reading an actual book, like the physical book versus listening to it. Another reviewer said, quote, I thought this story was going to be amazing, but it just didn't work for me. It was messy. The writing didn't work for me. There were way too, uh, too many unnecessary details, and I felt no connection to the characters. And again, too many unnecessary details. Well, you know, I can see where some people would say that. And like I said, I personally felt like it was drawn out in some areas. I, I, I do see where Holmes was going with that and why he included so many of those details. And no connection to the characters. Again, I, I love the book. I love the premise. But I just felt the characters were slightly just boring as people. <laughs> Another reviewer said, quote, the beginning of this book reminded me of Monty Python and Futurama. It was bizarre and so funny. Um, so interesting choices there. I don't know that I necessarily would pick those two um, things to compare the book to. But this reviewer did. <laughs> The Academy, with its seemingly jovial and good-natured Dean, was idyllic and cozy, which contrasted with its murderous purpose in a brilliant way. My only complaint is this book is very long, and at some point it started dragging. However, if you like dark humor, witty, intelligent writing, you will love it. And again, someone else said it kind of dragged. So it does, it gets detailed, uh, but overall, I, I really enjoyed it, and I do think it was a good book. Media recommendations, Hero Dreams of Sushi, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's J-I-R-O, Dreams of Sushi. Um, Prime Video, this is all in subtitles, so keep in mind if you're going to watch it, you're going to want to be prepared to pay a little more attention. I definitely watch things sometime where I'm not giving my full attention to it, especially since I'm often tired from work or distracted with chores around the house. This was recommended to me, and I really enjoyed it a lot. It was quite a popular documentary when it came out in 2011, so once again, I'm behind on some things, but it was really fascinating. I've been to Japan, so I'm interested in the culture, and this uh, really dove into some of the nuances, as well as following Nero, who is passionate about food and fine dining. His restaurant has earned three Michelin stars each year since 20, um, 2007, but it's since been dropped because they no longer accept public reservations. Well, I'll obviously never eat there because it's so exclusive and I want to get back to Japan, but I'm not sure when. <laughs> it was still a great documentary documentary to watch and I highly recommend it. 
Also, it is nicely into spooky season right now. So Tucker and Dale versus Evil. This is on Hulu. I love this movie. And we talked about Alan Tudyk um, in the last episode. So I had to watch this one. So great for spooky season. And while it's completely absurd, I still love it. And it makes me laugh every time. If you haven't seen this comedy horror, it's worth a watch and always worth the rewatch as well. Honestly, this might not even be the first time I've recommended it on the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram and at Don't Read Drunk. Email me at don'treaddrunk at gmail.com and check out my website, don'treaddrunk.buzzsprout.com. There is no apostrophe in any of the don'ts. This is a hobby podcast, so I rely heavily on any donations and Patreon supports. You can do a one-time donation through PayPal using my email, don'treaddrunk at gmail.com. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don't read drunk. The link is also in my show notes. Thank you to my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at One Up Till Sun Up, who created the music. You can find One Up Till Sun Up on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Avenue Coffee House, you can find them on Facebook and their website at avenue-coffeehouse.com. Also, Supernova Coffee and Donuts, downtown Milwaukee. Don't forget about my newest sponsor, Karen Rothley Fine Arts. You can find Karen on Etsy and Facebook. Next episode, we'll be talking about Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children by Ransom Rains. Bye, and talk to you soon. 